All right, we'll have more. Uh, we have a lot of panelists. You're going to be handling one panel. I'm handling another, and we'll have that. We're getting ready now. They're introducing uh, Tim Scott. Let's listen in a little bit, and, uh, and then we'll join you back after uh, Tucker with Tim Scott. And just recently supported legislation to prevent woke banks from wasting and wielding your retirement investments to force management to champion social, liberal social causes. Senator Scott talks often about his humble background and his quintessential American story. In fact, his mother was a single parent who worked hard to provide. This spirit of hard work and merit and determination, along with a strong faith in divine providence, helped propel him to earn a degree, own a business, and to serve his community starting in the Charleston County Council and now in the U.S. Senate. I worked in the Senate. It's a unique place. I saw Senator Scott and his team up close. So I want to tell you two important facts about Tim Scott that you may not have heard. He hires the best people, truly. And that loyalty, uh, and, and the staff is among the most loyal in the entire body. I think his staff turnover must be the lowest in the Senate. And his loyalty is two ways. They know that he's there for the right reasons, that he walks out his faith, that he leads with wisdom and humility. You know, it's said that familiarity breeds contempt, and that's often true in Washington. But for Tim Scott, it's engendered loyalty. That says a lot. He and his office also provided, provide, even to this day, key support for believers. I'm thinking in particular the senator hosting numerous faith and law meetings for Bible studies and public events. This is a man who prioritizes his Christian faith and exhibits tremendous integrity. We were proud to host the senator in April for Heritage's 50th anniversary, which we also had Tucker Carlson at. You might have seen his remarks. Uh, they were outstanding, as were the senators. We really appreciate the hard work that he's doing to restore America to its true founding principles. So would you please join me in welcoming to the stage, Senator Tim Scott. Good morning. How are y'all? Isn't it good to be in a nation where you are free to praise the Lord? Hallelujah. Since Tucker's not here, I'll just continue. But there he is. There he is. I was listening to you. I was like, that's right. Thank you, Senator. Absolutely. Good to see Thank you. Thank you for doing this. Yes, sir. So we spoke backstage and you said that you have slept in your own bed six nights in the last month. Not much, yes. But that it doesn't bother you at all, and well, you're having a great time. Yeah, I, I, I said behind the scene here that what a blessing to live in a country where we are free to praise the Lord, Amen. and that the Judeo-Christian foundation of this nation sets the standard across the world. That is what we talk about when we think about John 8, 31 and, and John 8, 32. John 8, 31 says, you have to abide in me, and then you will know the truth, and that truth will set you free. Amen. So, uh, you know, a nation that great has to be aware of threats to its very existence. Absolutely. Yesterday, Biden mobilized reserves. 
What do you think of that? And are you concerned that we're moving, as we seem to be, toward war with Russia? Yeah, so I would say that without any question, we should never allow American soldiers to be engulfed into the challenge between Ukraine and Russia. Our boots on the ground should not be there. The ability... My mama wanted to preach or someone will stand up and do it the southern <laughs> way. Preach! Hallelujah! So, literally, so I think one of the failures of President Biden has been his inability to articulate America's national vital interest in the conflict or the genocide in Ukraine. America's national vital interest is degrading the Russian military. When we degrade the Russian military, we make sure that our home front is safer and that our NATO ally partners that would cause us to send soldiers over is safe. When we have the land contiguous with Ukraine safe, we keep our American soldiers at home and our primary objective should only be to engage when America's vital national interests are being engaged. And unfortunately, President Biden has no ability to understand and appreciate what that looks like. Wait, wait, wait may, may I ask, so you're saying that it's in our national interest, vital national interest, to degrade the Russian military, in other words, to fight Russia with other people's soldiers. I would, I would say it this way, if you think about the world order that we established after World War II. If you think about a rules-based system, where does a rules-based system come from? It comes from this nation, our Judeo-Christian foundation, that says that there are rules of the road, that there is something called absolute truth. And we established that. As a part of that absolute truth, what we're trying to do is make sure that our home front remains safe. Keeping our home front safe means that evaluating the actual threats to our country, the most immediate military threat that could happen is Russia. Why is a good question. You look at their sixth generation jets, you look at their hypersonic weapons, you look at their nuclear arsenal. Everything that we do that degrades the Russian military is good for America. You look at the long-term threat to our nation, it's China. Their existential threat that we face long-term becomes China. You look at this rising axis of evil that we're seeing being formed, it's Russia, China, and Iran. Breaking that to pieces before it gets started, I think, is in our vital interest. So on the day last February that Russia invaded eastern Ukraine, Russia and China were not allied, but within weeks of the sanctions that we applied and the stated intent of the Biden administration to effectively wage war with Russia, you saw an alignment which is now hardened between Russia and China. The United States military cannot, as you know, since you oversee it as a member of the Senate, cannot actually defeat Russia and China united. Um, and so it would seem that the Biden policies have created a larger threat, no? Well, I would say it by looking back to 2014. There are two times that we've seen incursions in Ukraine that create peril for America. The first time was under President Obama when he drew that red line in Syria and nothing happened, which gave permission to Putin to come in and take Crimea. The second time we saw was when President Biden sat back and watched as Schultz and Germany led the Western alliance to provide resources to Ukraine, which was a mistake colossal on our part. So what you saw was 
President Biden saying to Putin, I'm going to give you a list of areas that we don't want you to have cyber attacks. Weakness. Second that we saw, President Biden said, gosh, you know what? If you just take parts of it, it's okay. Well, when, when, when we have NATO territory that's contiguous, bombs, missiles on our on NATO territory creates a real challenge for our nation. Well, you can see how life. it could become, you know, the third Absolutely. world war very quickly. So why not force a peace? How would you we do that? Do, well, you could tell Ukraine, and they are a client state of the United States, without American backing, there's kind of no Ukraine. We're literally paying the salaries of their bureaucrats. Um, we want you to sit down, as they tried to do, but were stopped by our government, um, and stop this war. Yeah. And, and reach a peace as, as one does, where both sides you know, concede some of their interests. Like, why wouldn't that be in our interest to do that? I think the faster we get to peace, the better off we are. What we don't want to do, from my perspective, is allow ourselves to ask for a premature peace that cannot be achieved as the alliances continue to come together. Uh, to the extent that we can find our path out of this situation, the better off we are. So what's the point at which we'll know that we've achieved our goal? Just, and, and I say that within the context of having watched 20 years of occupation in Afghanistan where nobody could answer the question, what's the point? Yes. And no one in Congress ever asked that question, amazingly. So what is, the, what is the specific goal here? Yeah, so I would say that the objective should be for Zelensky and Ukraine to be able to achieve victory by maintaining as much of their territory as they possibly can and then seeing the resources that we've deployed along with our Western alliances, achieving the peace that I believe comes when you get these two folks to sit down and have a conversation that allows them to determine where those lines will be drawn for the next 100 years. Okay. Uh, where are you on, on the matter of sending cluster bombs to the Ukrainian military? Well, if I was President of the United States, we wouldn't have to. Here's what you saw. But, but now that we have, what do you think of it? Well, I mean, I think they're, they're there. So here's what I would suggest is that, Well, they're not, I don't think they're there yet. Do well, you they, think that we should send them? I think that the mistake is when you have President Biden saying to the world that here are a host of weapons that we no longer have the ammunition to supply. You have a request coming from Ukraine saying we need more of the weapons that you say you don't have to, to, to provide. As opposed to keeping top secret information in your closet, you go to the front pages of every news station, you go to the screens and President Biden says to the world, we don't have the ammunition. And so what you see from Ukraine is they say send the cluster bombs over. Under my administration, we would have the resources and a defense industrial complex that provides the weapons that we need and our Western allies need. We wouldn't be in this position at all. Do you think he should send them? I wouldn't have to. He already has agreed to do so. Huh. Um, let me ask you a sort of non-Ukraine question. So I was just in Eastern Europe, much poorer than the United States. But one thing you notice in the cities I have visited there is that there aren't a lot of really any drug addicts living on the streets. ODing on the streets, the so-called homeless problem, which is a huge feature of life in this country, doesn't kind of exist or seem to exist there. What should we, what do you think of the fact that we've got hundreds of thousands of people living on the streets and dying there? What should we do about it specifically? Do you in think? America? Yeah. Yeah, I think one of the things that we need to recognize is that we are in the midst of a mental health crisis as a nation. Yeah. You think about the fact that there are several pieces of the puzzle that come together that we have not yet addressed. 
you look back into the 1980s and early 90s, we had 600,000 additional hospital beds for mental health issues yeah. that we have today. So part of the crisis that we see manifesting in three major areas is a mental health crisis that we could help solve if we address the actual mental health crisis that underlies those issues. The first one is the fact that over 100,000 Americans have lost their lives to overdoses in the last 12 months. 70,000 Americans have lost their lives because of fentanyl. We could stop fentanyl from crossing over our southern border by closing our southern border. Building a wall for under, this nation spends $7 trillion. It would take $10 billion to finish the wall, and for an additional $5 billion, we could use the available technology to surveil, to surveil our southern border and our ports of entry to slow down fentanyl from coming into our country. This is a part of that mental health epidemic that we face. Second thing I'd say is that we always hear people talk about gun violence in this nation. No one actually takes a step back from the conversation about gun violence and ask yourself, what does it appear to be? 55% or so, over 50% of gun-related deaths are suicides. No one ever says that. That is a mental health crisis. And you add those two together and couple it with the reality that because of COVID, we locked our kids out of schools because the left is so committed to the teachers unions that they did the wrong thing for our kids. And what did we see as a result? A 30% plus increase of our youngsters going to the ER for mental health challenges. We need to get back to some honest bedrock truth that sets captives free. And the way that we do that is by focusing our attention on these three major issues that we need to address as a nation. May I ask, and thank you for saying that about the 100,000 Americans, mostly young people, mostly not in the cities, dying every year. So that's hundreds of, of thousands just in the last several years. Um, why, and you said we should build the wall that was started and, and then dismantled. Why not build a human wall with, say, the reservists who were called up to go defend Ukraine? Why wouldn't they be defending our border? I totally agree with you, yeah. Well, but, but, but there's no effort. I mean, the, the Pentagon has said, the last president kind of suggested that, didn't do anything about it, but he suggested it. And I think most people thought, well, that's not a crazy idea. And the Pentagon said, like, no, we're not gonna do that as if it's their call. Why would you fund the Pentagon if they are refusing to defend the United States? <laughs> well, here's what I've already done uh -huh. in my legislation. I created legislation that says, now, let me just do a survey of the audience. How many of y'all think we need 87,000 new IRS agents in America? I can't hear you. Say it one more time. I think y'all said no. I agree. Why not take the Inflation Reduction Act that actually increases inflation 
and the 87,000 new IRS agents that are funded by the $82 billion in additional funding for the IRS, which the $82 billion, about $40 billion is a target, people making under $200,000 of income. Why not take those 87,000 positions and put those folks on the border? Why not increase the pay of our border and patrol agents? Why not give them the resources they need to surveil our borders and do the jobs that they desperately want to do? As President of the United States, I would sign my legislation and divert the resources from the IRS to the border so that we could secure our border. You're going to audit all those people coming in? Um, oh, <laughs> They, they said he was witty. I, I, I see it with my own eyes oh, right I'm, now. I'm for it, by the way. Yes, yes, yes. Well, thank you Let's very much. Let's take a look at your taxes. Well, here, listen. I mean... Uh, no, but yes. you would, bottom line, you would put armed Americans, federal employees... The resources. I would hire more... I would not take the IRS agent. No, I know. I'm just totally and, joking. And run them to the border. <laughs> no, that's not exactly what I mean. What I mean is that... Take the billions of dollars and put them where America's security needs are first, which starts with our southern border, and by putting that $40 billion of resources on our southern borders, we could close the door. If you don't control your own back door, it's not your country. Well, aren't you kind of being invaded at a certain point if you've got millions of military-aged men coming into your country and hundreds of thousands of Americans are dying? Why is that not the job of the military to stop? Listen, I, I don't disagree with you. One of yeah. the things I've said is that I would use every resource we have to include the United States military to stop the flow of fentanyl and to make sure that the Mexican cartels cease to exist. Right. I have legislation that does... I'll wait for that clap. All right, two people. I'm looking for three. Can I get four in the house of God? Yes, this is great. Why, why not? Why not use the resources of our country to do what is the primary responsibility of the federal government, which is national security? Amen. That's the job. So what do you do? I, I mean, I, I can't imagine many people would disagree with that. I wonder what you do with the millions of foreign nationals here illegally, many with fake papers, uh, who are here. Like, what do you do with them? You become president, yes. sworn in January 2025, and you've got, let's say, 7 million people who've come in in the last four years. Do you, I mean, what do you do with them? Do you deport them? I think it's a very difficult task to deport them all at one time, but here's what we make sure they never do, is you never break the law and become an American citizen by breaking the laws. Well, hold on, but, but would you deport any of them? How many would you deport? I, I think you have to start the process of identifying where they are. Listen, listen, this is a really important question. I hope that we don't miss this. Because those folks who come into our country illegally, even those who are seeking asylum, go around our country, and some of the asylum dates for your court appearance is 2033, 10 years from now. So finding those who have come to our country illegally has to be a part of the job number one. And that means that we're going to have to take a look panoramically across our country and make sure that we stop this thing called sanctuary cities and sanctuary states that receive our resources to make sure that the federal government cannot figure out where the folks are. So in order for us to achieve the goals that the really brilliant guy on the stage, I'm not talking about myself, wants us to achieve, that was a compliment, by the way. Oh, sorry, it went right over my head. I was like, <laughs> 
I want to make sure I get it. Sometimes I give compliments, I have to let people Brilliant's know. Brilliant's a little strong. Yeah, okay, okay. Really smart cookie over here. <laughs> Achieve, we have to identify where they are. And, and I'm not going to pretend that that will be an easy task, but that should be the responsibility. Well, but wait a second. The federal government's like knows where everyone is because everyone has a, has a smartphone and they're yes, tracking you. Yes, yes, you yes. Know. So like we know anyone using a fake social security number, why not just like drop them off in Tijuana? Bye-bye. Well, I'm going to appoint Tucker Carlson as my bye-bye ambassador no, but, to figure this out. So we're going to work together on this. And I, I'm a, a sincere question. I, like, I'm sincere maybe the well. reason that people come by the millions yes. uninvited, illegally, making a mockery of the rule of law. I have to obey the law, but someone from Haiti doesn't? Or what? But they come because they know that no politician will say, come and you're, you're leaving. Like, they don't put up with this in Japan. Absolutely. Well, they don't put like up you're this. gone. They don't Why actually, not do that? Here's the fact. I, I would recommend that we do that. The yeah. question is not doing that. It's finding the seven million that's already here and getting rid of them was the first question. But the second question is a better question because if you look at the laws of Mexico, they have the same laws. They're, they're, they're stringent laws. The second time you're caught in the country, I believe the offense is 10 years in prison. Oh, of course. And so I it's say a real country. we enforce the laws of our country. And if we did so, we would not have the problem. What we have today is a president who does not mind our border being insecure, unsafe, and wide open. If I was president, we would shut that down and we would stop folks. We would put back in place the asylum policy that requires you to, f at re to receive or to request asylum on the countries that are contiguous you, with you, which doesn't include the America, and we would also reinstate the, st the stay in Mexico policy. So we would find a better path forward by just finishing the wall, reinstating policies that work, and stop that flow. Well, so, so here's, I'm just interested, because all measures are relative. So Russia's bad, Russia's a threat, Putin's evil, got it. But the total body count from Russia in the United States is right around zero. Like, I don't know anyone who's been killed by Russia. I know people personally who've been killed by Mexico. The government of Mexico allows fentanyl to be made in its country and to come over our border. Yes. And remittances from Mexico are a huge part of their economy. The Mexican government is party to the murder of hundreds of thousands of Americans. So why is Mexico less of a threat than Russia? Well, two things. I think we can walk and chew gum at the same time. Okay, but yeah, and fr I mean, frankly, here's, here's no Americans killed by Russia, yep. hundreds of thousands killed by Mexico, but Mexico's our ally and Russia's our enemy. How does that work? Well, I'm not going to pretend like I, the legislation I have sponsored that I would sign as president of the United States freezes the assets of the Mexican cartels, targets the Mexican cartels, and hopefully eliminates the flow of fentanyl. Because I do agree with you that 70,000 Americans losing their lives on an annual basis is an existential threat to America that we can solve. We don't have to choose the good news. Is Would we you can be solve willing that. to say to the Mexican government, your economy runs on factories right over the border, car plants, for example, but many other manufacturing uh, plants, and we're just going to slap tariffs on that and tank your economy, like tomorrow? unless you stop allowing poison to come into our country. Like, why not do that? I, I say you use every tool available to stop fentanyl from coming across our border. No, no exceptions. Interesting. So you, I, I Googled you this morning. Ah, and I did that last night with you. Actually. <laughs> uh. don't, don't ever do that. I, I, I was like, wow, there's a whole lot to read here. Oh, yeah. The pictures are fake, AI. Um, <laughs> but, I mean, there must have been 10 stories this morning about Tim Scott, you know, shooting to the top and all comp super, super complimentary. And all these big Republican donors, like, 
Tim Scott's amazing. And a lot of support from some of the big money centers in the Republican Party, so congrats. I mean, every candidate wants that. But it got me thinking, and I'll, I'll ask all the candidates this, but what are the big issues on which you disagree with your donors? Yeah, so good news is, I'm glad to hear they're all flocking to me. I wish they would go ahead and write the check too, because we haven't seen that yet. Uh, I, I will simply say that the issues that I strongly support is I believe America can do for anyone what she has done for me. We are living in a time, thank you, ma'am. We are living in a time when there is this pervasive force, radical left, parts of corporate America, that continues to force this culture of grievance on the American people. And along with the culture of grievance comes this drug of victimhood, the narcotic of despair. That folks actually have figured out that you, that, that you can make a profit off of conflict. I wanna stand in the gap and say, the truth of my life disproves the lies of the radical forces that believe that we should be in constant conflict with each other. America needs positive, powerful, biblically sound leadership to regain the high ground. It's one of the reasons, it's one, it's one of the reasons why when I became a Christian September 22nd of 1983, I started reading the gospel and understood that I'm a part of a bigger family, that a guy who grew up in a single parent household, mired in poverty, who wanted to know who am I according to my father. I found in Galatians 3.28 that I'm actually adopted a joint heir in the family of God. And as part of that family, all things are possible. And there are forces in this nation that hates objective truth. Here's an objective truth. Two genders, one truth. You see, here's where we have to get to. We have to get to a place where we are willing to understand and appreciate the strong foundation on which we stand. And whomever doesn't like that, Count me as a force for the good of this nation. Count me as a guy who believes that God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that you ask or imagine. And if you write a check and you don't like that, you can have your money back. Because I don't stand for donors. I don't stand for folks who contribute. I stand because there is a man who walked on this earth for 33 years, who paid the ultimate price for our freedom. And if I'm going to do my job, my job is according to Matthew 25, 21, well done, my faith, good and faithful servant. That's the job I have. That's, that's the place I look for my support. If you play for an audience of one, it doesn't matter who makes the contributions. And frankly, I don't know those donors that you're talking about who are flocking to my campaign. I'm looking forward to them coming. <laughs> I really am. I look forward to it. I, I've heard the stories myself, but what I, ha I, what I haven't seen is the millions and millions that you're talking about. But well, I will, and I, I, I will accept your, I know? I will accept your check too, by the way. So <laughs> thank you very much, Tucker, for wanting to be a contributor. So I'll, just, I'll yes. just end it with this. First of all, I, speaking for myself, I love what you just said, and I agree with it. Amen. Um, 
It's just that a lot of Republican primary voters have gotten kind of cynical because the Republican Party doesn't care what they think, obviously. Yeah. And you just look at the polling, what Republican primary voters think, what is the Republican Congress doing? Like there's no overlap between the two at all, okay? So it, it, over time, people get a little bit cynical and they think, but you're in it so you would know that maybe donors are kind of driving the agenda and not voters. Yeah. Well, and I've lived in DC yeah. my whole life and that's totally true. And you know, you know it too. So are there cases, can you just name one, where the donors have come to you and said, I really like you, but I'm, this is the issue I really care about, where you said, you know, I, I actually just disagree with you. Well, let me give you an example where I am already uh, consistently on the record. One of the areas I'm the leading Republican on the banking committee, I think when banks go belly up and leave the bag for the American taxpayer, we should claw back the money from those bank executives. <laughs> I led that, that, that legislation to get that done, number one. Number two, here, here's- the Donors don't like that, so that- They don't like that at all, no question about that. But we should not be concerned about the donors. We should be thinking about a responsibility. My responsibility, is to the bosses that I serve. And when you're a United States Senator from the state of South Carolina, the primary boss I have are only South Carolinians. Whether you vote for me or not, I work for the people. As President of the United States, I will work for the people. Let me tell you what I'm running on, and this is really simple. If you take out a loan, you pay it back. Number one. Number two. My mother worked 16 hours a day as a nurse's aide. She'd come home after changing bedpans and rolling patients, and she taught me one very valuable lesson. There is dignity in all work. Therefore, if you're able-bodied, you work. That's called America. Number three, if you commit a violent crime, you go to jail. Period. Number four, men should compete in sports against men. And number five, our southern border is the major national security issue our nation faces. Closing our southern border because of the national security risk that it poses is absolutely in America's best interest, period. And for those who don't like common sense conservative principles driven by the Judeo-Christian Foundation, choose another candidate. It's that simple. Senator Tim Scott, ladies and gentlemen, South Carolina. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you all very much. Like it up. That is uh, Tim Scott. I uh, I think he finished uh, strong there. Yeah. I was a little uh, taken by his almost wishy-washy stance on war. Uh, he didn't want to take a, a stance uh, on you know. I think the clearest on this is Donald Trump. No, we're not going to war. Um, and. Uh, I thought it was I thought it was interesting that he wouldn't condemn the cluster bombs. He just said that he wouldn't send them if he were president, but he won't condemn that. So he's going to be joining us here in just a minute. We are uh, with uh, Stu Brigier and our live coverage today. We have most of the hosts uh, from the Blaze here, and we're going to be 
switching on and, uh, and off and watching Tucker interview all of the candidates. And then tonight at 6.30 Eastern time, I'm taking 30, 40 minutes with uh, Tucker Carlson to talk really about him and uh, his past and future. It's a one-on-one -on -one tonight, and that'll only be for the Blaze subscribers. You can subscribe to the Blaze using the promo code SUMMIT and uh, save. What are your initial thoughts? It's interesting because you know Tim Scott's going to be joining us here in a couple of seconds. Um, you look at this field, and I think it, we I think at one point we, we had this discussion on the radio show where you have Donald Trump as kind of the leader, you have DeSantis as the number two, and then you have a bunch of people who are trying mm -hmm. to be that number three, and have that moment where they can kind of rise up and hit that 10%, 12%, have that moment where they're, they look like they might be the competitor. Of course, that, that you know, also does other things for you, right? It maybe opens you up to other positions, whether it's the VP or cabinet positions and all those other things. And I think one of the people that people pointed to um, most often was Tim Scott as maybe that third guy, the guy that could break out of the field. And you see him. He's, he's a good speaker. Um, he is, uh, he's got a lot of energy. Um, he's not, uh, you know, a, a boring dolt like some of these candidates, are, uh, which is nice. <laughs> not at all. No, and he's accomplished something, you know, in the Senate. He's, he's, he's been a pretty good senator. He's a great senator mm -hmm. on ESG mm. uh, with the banking system, which he talked about. He's very, very strong on that. Thought he was very strong on uh, the border as well. Yeah, I, I, maybe one of the things we, you, you, can talk, you can ask him uh, while you're talking to him is, you know, we, we have these... We're going to talk, hear from a lot of people today, and about, I don't know, 80% of the stuff they talk about will be things that they can generally agree on, right? They're, you know, Asa Hutchinson might be the most moderate that we'll hear from today, uh, but still, most of the stuff he's probably going to agree with the other candidates on. What What's the bumper sticker for Tim Scott? What makes him stand out? Why, why not... You, know, yeah. you think about Donald Trump. He's a businessman. You, you know, you, he was for, a former president. You think about uh, Asa Hutchinson. He's the most, you know, maybe the most moderate. Vivek Ramaswamy. He's young. He's a great communicator. He's a, uh, you know, a, a businessman as well. There's that. What's the what's the the, the elevator pitch for Tim Scott? And I, you know, he kind of made it toward the end there with those four points, which I think everybody kind of agrees on. I think there were five, and I five. only caught four. Okay, <laughs> but I think he said there were. That's five our first points. question. What's the fifth yeah, point? Well, uh, I, I missed the first one. <laughs> oh, guys, <laughs> it was you work, you go to jail, yeah. men against men, not women, and uh, the southern border. That was two, three, four, five. Okay, I missed the first so, one. That's our first question. <laughs> yeah. What was your first point? <laughs> uh, but I mean, you know, I think there's a. Uh, there's this um, idea with Tim Scott that he can break through. Obviously, there's an, an interest. Where, uh, he was on The View, for example. Now, you know, uh, not everybody in the Republican field gets on The View. There's an identity politics interest with him that I think he doesn't really like. I don't think he likes to talk about that stuff, but the media eats it up. Yeah, he doesn't want to. I mean, what he was talking about was, I mean, he is the reason why the media doesn't like this. Um, it, it, to, it, like him is because what he says is true. I am proof positive that what the left says is a lie. Yeah, that you can't make it. Yes, you can. Yeah. Oh, and it's if you take Clarence Thomas's concurrence from the uh, affirmative action case, and you look at that, he, it sounds a lot like Tim Scott when he talks about race issues, which is a a huge compliment, right? Like, I, you know, oh, the biggest. Yeah, someone who will take this on for themselves, someone who takes responsibility for their own lives, and also tells everyone that they can do it too. 
you know, that messaging is incredibly important at this time. And, you know, probably there's nobody better in the field to present that message to the American people than Tim Scott. I mean, he he can make that point. Self-reliance is America. We are moving towards a much more globalist, much more European-centric kind of uh, lifestyle, really. Um, And uh, that's what's different. Here, you're self-reliant. Here... You don't ask for permission. You just do it. Yeah. Uh, and as long as you're not hurting people, killing people, poisoning people, you can do it. Yeah, and you know, we've gone through uh, a weird transition where no longer is that kind of the view of everyone. I know. Uh, you know we, we, and, and I wonder how, because to me, that, that really rings true when yeah. he's saying about self-reliance. Yeah. You work, you go to jail. You do, you live the Judeo-Christian laws of this nation. You be a good person, you do what you can, you help others, you work hard, and, you know, life isn't fair, but in the end, you win. Um, yeah. But I'm not sure that's popular anymore. No, I know. I, I, I'm scared it's not. And I, honestly, it's the it's the whole foundation of the civilization. Right. right? Like, if we lose that, the country is not... It's over. We really are over as, as a, an American that we recognize. And I think, you know, he talks about this a lot when it comes to, uh, you know, uh, race, because, you know, that's the issue he's asked about probably most. But, I mean, it really hits every part of, of American life. And he, you know, I think talking about uh, a situation where, where um, skin color was the most important thing for many two years to our country's detriment and then turned the other way. And is was we all strove we all str- were striving for this utopia where it wasn't important at all, and the left has decided to rip that out and try to reverse it, and that's right. that's the wrong direction. Uh, I want to play something we were just talking about how the left how he can dismantle uh, the left in uh, ways that most cannot. Let's play a clip here of Tim Scott on the View. Watch. You have indicated that you don't believe in systemic racism. What is your definition of systemic racism? One of the reasons why I'm on the show is because of the comments that were made, frankly, on this show, that the only way for a young African-American kid to be successful in this country is to be the exception and not the rule. That is a dangerous, offensive, disgusting message to send to our young people today, that the only way to succeed is by being the exception. I will tell you that if my life is the exception, I can't imagine. But, but I can't. But it is. But it's not actually. Here's here's. It's been here's 114 my, years. Yeah. So so the fact of the matter is, we've had an African American president, African American uh, vice president. We've had two African Americans to be secretaries of the state. Uh, in my home city, uh, the police chief is an African American who's now running for mayor. The head of the Highway Patrol for South Carolina is an African American. Still exceptions. In, 19, in 1975, um, there was about 15% employment in the African American community for the first time in the history of the country. It's under 5%. That's Tim Scott on The View, and uh, the senator is with us now. Hello. How are you, sir? Good to be with you. It's good to be with you. How good are you? With you. Pardon me? <laughs> How are you doing? I'm great. Look good. I'm great. Awesome. Um, so let's talk a little bit about what you talked about. First of all, yes, sir. we missed the first point on the five. We've yes. got you work, you go to jail, men against men in sports, and the southern border. What was the first one? Do you remember? If you take out a loan... You pay it. Pay it. Okay, good. Because here's here's what's happening, Glenn. Uh, In the Biden administration, the radical left and the progressives continue to push their version of socialism wherever they can find a hole. The Supreme Court rules against the 
$400 billion student loan giveaway. Right. And what does President Biden do just days later? He tries to do it again in a smaller amount. This is unconscionable. Why should my mother, the nurse's aide who worked for more, Correct. barely more than minimum wage, be stuck with my student loans? Right. It is not right. It's unethical. It's also it's not right. I didn't go to. I At 30, yes. I could finally kind of afford a university. Yes. So I didn't go because I couldn't afford it. My parents couldn't afford it. At 30... I enroll, and then I get a divorce, and I can no longer afford it. Yes. So why now do I have to pay for somebody else's loan who might turn out to be a doctor and make all kinds of money? It's And I'm, I mean, I'm not crying poor mouth here. <laughs> yes, yes. I, you know, I can help. Okay. Yeah. But, but the average person can't. In America, if you take that loan out, it is just... Your, your responsibility. Loan. It's not mine. It's now, not do you, ours. Do you believe that to be true with the banks? Absolutely. The banks are getting all kinds of money from the Federal Reserve all the time. Yes. And if we don't teach them, dude, you made that deal. It's on you. So one of the things I, <clears throat> I did is I've been working on and passed through the Senate legislation, passed through the Banking Committee legislation that simply says that when a bank goes belly up, why should taxpayers Never. be on the hook for that? Correct. We should claw back the bonuses and the resources that the executives made and hold that bank wholly responsible. If we had that in place, I think more banks would take be more prudent with their decisions. Of course they would. And that's called common sense individual responsibility, and it is a part of the American ethos that has always been our value system. Okay, so let me let me talk to you about. It. I I found you. I mean, first of all, I love you. You know that. I you are a huge huge help on the ESG uh, front. So it's important. I love it's you. So very important. Um, but I was in in mainly because I'm a dad. Yes. I've taken my son to a university this weekend, um, and I saw the news. What President Biden did yesterday, calling up reserve troops for yes. uh, what is it, Operation? Uh, I don't know. Atlantic Resolve. Atlantic Resolve. Yeah. Yes. Um, and my first thought was, my son is of draft age, mm-hmm. and my son is not going to fight in a war that I don't even know what we're fighting for, and I don't agree with I don't think we're the good guys. I don't think Ukraine are the good guys, and I don't think Russia's the good guys. I want somebody to stand up and say, no, no, we are not going to go into World War III. Agreed. So here's what I said there, and I've said it uh, a dozen times before. Using our resources, and I do believe that in America's national vital interest is seeing the degradation of Russian military, not with our troops, not with our boots on the ground, not with our military. And so what you've seen and heard from me, you'll consistently hear. I do not believe, nor would I, as President of the United States, send American troops to Ukraine. Having our resources degrade what I believe is America's number one most existential military threat today, we know China mm-hmm. is on the move, and we know that they yes. are our long-term existential threat. But having the ability to degrade the Russian military to slow down this rising new axis of evil between Russia, China, and Iran is important to the American people, and frankly, as with two brothers, one who served 32 years as a command sergeant major in the Army, who dropped out of the University of South Carolina because my family cannot afford for him to go to military, go to, go to college like yeah. you just talked yeah. about. My other brother, raised by my dad, 
Uh, went to the Air Force Academy, spent 26 years in the Air Force. My dad, 27 years in the Air Force, 85 years between the three of them in public service in the military. Sending any of my family members or your, your family members to a foreign land for a purpose that we cannot identify is, is just an impossible, impossibility for me. Therefore, what I believe is using our resources, but we have to have accountability, which we don't get under the Biden administration. We don't get it at all. We, we don't have 37% of our attack subs in a dry dock right now. Yes. They're, Without, they're, they're not able, we're not able to use them. Our strategic oil reserve is gone. Absolutely. I'd add number six to the list, by the way, <laughs> day number one. Yeah. May I write it down for <laughs> Yes, you may. <laughs> six. XL Keystone Pipeline Restart Certainty and Predictability in our regulatory state so that we yeah. can have the energy independence that the American yes. people deserve. deserve. National security and energy security are the same. And okay. so I'm not sending my brothers, your sisters, your brothers, yeah. your kids over to a foreign land for something, for a purpose that we can achieve without a single boot on the ground. Okay, I want to ask you uh, just a couple more questions. Um, first of all, I have to tell you that I am, historically, I'm pissed off at South Carolina. Okay. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> no, no, wait, 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 hear me out. I think you'll agree with me. Okay, okay. They were one of the two states at the Declaration of Independence that said, no, we don't want the slavery, anti-slavery stuff in the Declaration of Independence. Well, it was yeah, South yeah. Carolina and Georgia. Yeah, and then it was the Civil War started in Charleston, South Carolina. Hometown. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Do you ever think about how far we have come that the state – that was centerpiece yes. at the beginning that has caused all of these problems and then started the Civil War, you are now a beloved senator Absolutely. of that same state. I'm not sure there's a day that goes by that I don't think about that. Think about my journey in life. I'm an African-American, as you can tell. Born, I, I, just, <laughs> I didn't notice. I just say black. Or a, wait, am I a racist because <laughs> I didn't notice or I did now? I don't maybe, know. maybe so, maybe not. Here's what we know. I'm a black man yeah. born in the deep south in the 60s where my mother had to go through separate and unequal, had to figure out what water fountain to drink from, where you yeah, couldn't right. go into a restaurant, you couldn't go into a hotel. My eighth grade, there was a riot, a race riot, at the high school my brother was at that I was going to attend the next year. Four years later, I'm the president of the student government of that wow. high school. See, when people talk about American progress... And they pretend like it stopped in 1963. It is a lie from the pit of hell. Here's what we all have to understand about who we are as Americans. We are the nation that continues in the direction of the more perfect union. I will say that not only did I become the high school student government president, fast forward to 2010. We're still in the city where the Civil War started. I'm running for Congress. I get in the race after the most popular governor's son in 50 years is in the race, Carol Campbell III, namesake. I get in the race after Strom Thurmond's son gets in the race. I'm still black, by the way. So <laughs> here we are. Here we are. Yeah. Running for Congress with 90% of the voters being white. Yeah. 
Ask me if I believe we judge people in South Carolina and around the country by the content of their character I am, and not the color of their skin. I am glad you're in the race. Thank you so much. Thank you. America works. Yes, it does. We'll have you on radio uh, and television. Please do. Thank God you. bless you. Um, all right. We have Asa Hutchinson coming up in just a second on stage. More with Tucker Carlson. But I want to go to Steve Dace. Steve, this is your kingdom, and as I said to you <laughs> off the air, we're in your kingdom. I bow to the king. What does what happened there uh, uh, with Tim Scott? What did you see that made a difference? I, I don't think we know yet because it's the first interview, and the cadence was interesting. I mean, the senator chose to get up and address the crowd as he was answering Tucker's questions in kind of an oratory and to make yes. sure he had his talking points. So it, it wasn't conversational. Will everybody do that? Will some people do that? Um, clearly the news of the president uh, calling up reservists to potentially go die for nothing in Ukraine, you have to address that. Tucker, I think, was right to address that right from the outset and try to get specifics there. So um, I think we have to wait till things play out a little bit more, Glenn, to see you know how this will, will wear. I will say I found him, I thought he was very likable, but I did think his... Uh, his standard stump speech, boiler you know, plate stuff, I thought it was going to get more enthusiasm from the crowd at the end than it did, actually. Yeah, well, I, I will tell you that as I'm listening to this, I again go back to trying to listen to it as a member of the foreign press, the mainstream <laughs> media. And all I keep thinking is they're going to use this as Christian nationalism because it, it, it went right back to... Uh, the scriptures, the Bible, morality, all of the things that America has always stood for. And I was surprised that it wasn't because I thought he ended and finished strong. Mm -hmm. I'm not as, as afraid of the whole Christian nationalism. They'd just come up with another brand. They would just come up with another label. They'd come up with another pejorative, you know, a another attack. Uh, it really comes down to can you take whatever your branding is and apply it to a broad enough audience to win? That's the bottom line.